Episode 8 of the Music for Ministry podcast. Welcome to the Music for Ministry podcast, providing an in-depth look at the ministry of music through the lives of music leaders today. Hello, and welcome to the Music for Ministry podcast. I'm your host, David West, and this is the podcast for those who are passionate about ministering with music. I'm excited about today's episode because I ran into a friend of mine, David E. Smith, at the Wilds Music Conference. He and I had a chance to sit down and chat about music publishing, especially in the area of sacred instrumental music. If you don't know who David is, David is the founder and owner of David E. Smith Publications, and his company offers a huge selection of sacred instrumental music. But before we get to our interview today, listen to this valuable musical resource. Check out this week's valuable musical resource. One of the blessings of going to church is being able to sing the great hymns of the faith. In fact, D.L. Moody made the comment that one of the most important books next to the Bible was the hymn book. I've always enjoyed the stories behind the great hymns and often used them as illustrations. One of the largest books on hymn histories is a book called Revive Us Again, written by Douglas Snow. He spent over 25 years compiling this work. It has over 800 pages and includes 366 of the most well-known gospel hymns. What makes this book unique is that it's a chronological anthology of American gospel hymnody, which means they are arranged in the order that they became available to our American hymn books. The way the book is laid out, it could also be a great supplement to your daily devotions. The book has so much detail about the hymns and the hymn writers. It's a great resource and would be a great addition to your library. I'll put a link to it on our site. Now let's get right into our interview. We're here today with David E. Smith from David E. Smith Publications. He's been publishing for many years and uh, has a unique story to tell us about why be a music publisher. It's good to have you today, David. Thank you, David. It's nice to be here. Yeah, two Davids are (laughs) here to talk about publishing. Is it a ministry or a business, an art or a passion? And I think you are qualified to share a little bit of information about the experiences as a publisher over the years and you know, maybe some of the pitfalls of being a publisher as well as some of the successes that you've experienced or seen in other companies. So let's go back to the beginning uh, when you first uh, thought about the publishing business and give us a, a, an idea of what gave you a desire to publish. Well, I started out uh, as a kid in school, not having things to play. My uh, father wanted me to play an instrument uh, when I was young, and uh, I said, uh, okay. And he said, what instrument would you like to play? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, why don't you try the trumpet? That's a good church instrument. And so uh, uh, I started, and as I went along and developed a bit and wanted to play in church, I found virtually nothing. Now, this is going back in the 1950s. And probably the first book I ever had was a Lilliness publication, which was essentially about a dozen songs 
that you would find in a hymn book that had a transposed trumpet line. And that was about it. And, and if you went to a store, I mean, you almost found nothing at that time. And so that's what started the whole thing out. I always had an interest and then started doing some writing even when I was in high school. Um, then I went on to uh, college and started honing some skills. Um, but as I was going along in my teaching career and listening to people needing literature for church and Christian schools and whatnot, uh, I realized there was a real dearth of uh, materials. And so I started out with some of my own arrangements and a few others, went around from place to place with my two little uh, two-inch binders <laughs> showing my wares. And uh, from those early days, back in about the early 1980s, and to what we have today in the publishing world is quite different. A lot of publishers out there, uh, producing a lot of materials, but that wasn't the case 30 years ago. Uh, so it was kind of a forerunner as far as instrumental, and that's what my whole emphasis is, is instrumental. I thought uh, people have choral literature. There's always been piano arrangements, but when it came to uh, wind and string material, you didn't really find that much, or at least I didn't find that much. And so I started out with those first 20 or 30 pieces. That's good. There is a need to have quality instrumental and sacred instrumental music available. Uh, I remember as a young musician as well, the same problem, uh, playing an instrument and not having resources uh, to to find. And uh, it's been the same in the choral. I know the, the market's uh, plentiful now <laughs> as far as our choices. Your publishing company has grown over the years, and you have many different publishing companies that have joined in with yours. You're like the uh, umbrella for many other groups. Can you explain what you do there okay. as far as being a distributor? Sure. Well, we now have, as far as companies of our own, uh, we've acquired a few others. So our brand names uh, under our umbrella is David E. Smith Publications, Psalm 150 Publications, Majestic Music Publications, and Riversong Productions. So those are our entities. Then we act as a distributor as well. And it's interesting that well, the good Lord kind of gave me that direction when I first started to be uh, a three-pronged entity, and that would be a publisher, the ones I just mentioned, and then to also be a distributor. And I've had other ones kind of come and go. But uh, also we carry Rich Heffler Music, Stockton Music Services, Light of the World Music, and Ken Bauer Productions. So those are the companies we're exclusively uh, distributing. And then the third prong is to be a dealer. And uh, so we act as a dealer for probably 20 or more companies. And so you put all of that together, and we catalog well over 6,000 items now. Wow. How do you sell it or how do you provide it to the, the churches or mm -hmm. to the general public? Um, that's multifaceted as well. Uh, I've always worked hard at working through dealerships. Uh, and music dealers have really come under a lot of pressure economically uh, and logistically in the last several years. And so I find that kind of faltering, unfortunately. The fortunate part for us is we still... Uh, work through dealers, the major ones, uh, and those those are very helpful. Uh, we work uh, through conferences, at exhibits, and uh, mail order, and uh, more recently, 
within the last 10 years or so uh, through our websites. And we have three websites, and uh, that gets the word out. It does take a lot of advertising. Uh, we've kind of diminished that recently, and we've kind of felt that. Uh, and not having the support of a lot of dealer activity, that's made quite a difference. But over the years, we have sold music in every state and province of North America and about 25 foreign countries, and we've got dealerships in just about every state in the uh, Union and uh, some in Canada and even other uh, countries. Well, can you explain to us a little bit about what goes into uh, being a publisher as far as uh, how multifaceted it is to publish a piece of music? Well, there's a lot to it. Um, with, with the entities we have now, we probably have well over 100 uh, writers uh, some companies and even the major publishers have their own stable of writers and so quite often if you're not in that stable you don't get in the front door right. and that's been one of the things that from uh, almost day one that I felt was uh, a mission was to give opportunities to people who had abilities and wanted to serve the Lord with their music to give them a, a source uh, to be published and that's probably one reason we have over a hundred writers now uh, as opposed to just being a, a, a one-writer publisher or a six-writer publisher or that type of thing. Uh, we have certain guidelines. Obviously, my musical background, uh, I'm sure, governs a lot of what we pick. Uh, when I get submissions in for writers, the first thing I probably look for is counterpoint. If it's just a transposed thing out of the hymn book, it's probably not going to make it. I, th I think that's one thing that makes a difference between instrumental music and vocal music. Uh, we don't, we're not dealing with text per se. And so we have to have things in, of interest, uh, musically that makes the, the, the music interesting and, uh, carries a message along with it. So we have to do things musically and texturally, um, since we're not dealing with text, uh, of lyrics. Well, music can be very expensive and a lot of times, We'll hear people complaining about the price of, of buying a solo piece. They can buy it as a solo or buy it in a collection. Um, what justifies the price that or the premium sometimes people have to pay for uh, sheet music these days? Yeah. It's interesting because people will talk about that, and yet statistics will bear out that the price of music really isn't too much different than it was decades ago. I mean, you go go try to buy a car today for what you would have bought one 30 years ago. Buy a piece of music compared to what you would have paid for it 30 years ago. Not too much difference, but people, I think sometimes, particularly in the church world, because uh, we're dealing with ministry and stewardship, uh, really want it pretty close to free. <laughs> the other thing that uh, we're facing too that is different compared to the past is uh, uh, downloading music and we're starting to do that through several uh, different entities as well uh, so people do look at the cost of it uh, but while the price of reproducing equipment and everything that uh, goes into making music keeps going up the price of the of the final product really has not changed that much in fact in some cases on certain types of items has probably come down mm -hmm. and you mentioned submissions are you still uh, receiving submissions or, or uh... yes I get them all the time uh, literally from all over the world um, and when people submit things to me I always throw out the caveat that 
I'm always behind, way behind in reviewing. And part of the reason that is, is not only because of the amount of materials we get in, but I always want to give a piece, a really good shot of uh, consideration. And so I will tend to sit on it for a while, and then that off obviously becomes uh, kind of a slowdown, and then it takes longer than I would really like. But on our despub.com website, uh, in the tab about us, there is a whole outline of how uh, to submit to us. And the interesting thing is, uh, as it relates to developing a catalog, I've had pieces that I have rejected, and then only to two or three years later, turn around and accept that same piece that a person has submitted again because our catalog has changed. And so even on our submission uh, form, we state it's not always just the quality of the music, it's how it fits into the overall nature of our catalog. And our topic of conversation is why be a music publisher? Is this a, a get-rich-quick uh, <laughs> type of business, or is it something that takes a lot of time? Yeah, I don't think it's a get-rich-quick or even a get-rich-ever <laughs> type of thing. And as I stated earlier, I think particularly in the church world, in the conservative church world, where people are very concerned about their stewardship, uh, they're probably uh, pickier than other parts of the industry. I don't think the pop music faces that. It's almost like there are people want a piece of music, they'll spend whatever they want. And I've seen people at an exhibit, for example, that will come back and look at a piece again and again and again and again just to make sure if the music is correct and whether they want to spend that $3 for that solo or not. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, discretion that goes in on the end user as to what they're going to accept. Right. Well, take us through if someone were to submit something to you and you did accept it, how does the writer benefit from publishing mm -hmm. through uh, uh, a publishing house such as yours? Well, exposure. Uh, we get people sometimes that want uh, us to be their distributor and they maybe have their three or four little pieces and, and they know they need to get the word out there somewhere. Uh, most of the companies that we deal with, uh, as far as distribution, uh, you're going to have anywhere from one to 500 pieces of music. And so that tends to be somewhat a bit of a, of a qualifier. I did a multi-section uh, set of articles in our company newsletter, which is Lines and Spaces, uh, a few years ago. And I, I went through the step-by-step -step process there, and you can find the, those articles on uh, despub.com in the newsletter section. And uh, when it comes to the submission, uh, the reviewing of that, sometimes we field test a piece of music before we consider it. We go back and re-edit it or ask the uh, the writer to re-edit their piece. Maybe there's things that were, are of concern to us. Uh, th then you go into the uh, production of it. Uh, then you're dealing with advertising, uh, marketing, whether it's the individuals or dealers or whatever. And so the process just goes on and on and on. And that's partly what you have to figure in uh, to the pricing aspect of it, um, even as it relates to royalties. And then if, if the writer used a piece of music that's not uh, public domain, we have to kind of figure, is it worth going into getting a license from the original publisher to use that piece? Uh, how much more do we have to tack onto the list price to cover those royalties, not to just the writer, but also to the, the original copyright holder? And so all of these things, uh, you know, go into the, into the, um, 
a process. And sometimes we have to do research as to whether it's going to be a violation of a copyright. And so, you know, there's times time that's uh, spent in, in doing that whole process. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And then with instrumental music, we're, we're very much uh, interested in leveling. Unlike some catalogs, a lot of catalogs, whether they're major uh, secular catalogs or, or major um, uh, uh, sacred ones, tend to kind of publish down the middle, if you will, uh, like the lo- easy level threes, uh, which makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of marketing and sales and whatnot. Uh, I've probably taken the hard way uh, through all of this because we will publish for most every instrument, solo and or ensemble, anywhere from level one on up through five or six. And so that really spreads the whole thing out. And that's probably one reason we have a pretty good sized catalog and makes it a little more difficult as far as people knowing what we have because we haven't just taken that one level and kind of kind of stayed there, which publishers will tend to do over the years. I'm sure that every publisher is concerned about copyright infringements and things like that. Uh, and sometimes the view of uh, our churches or ministries is that it, if it's used for the Lord's work, then, uh, you know, we, we, we can treat it a little bit differently. Amen, can you, brother. <laughs> can you explain the, uh, the scenarios of maybe a comparison Sure. Of, of what that is and, and what it's not right. uh, to the purchaser. Or- well, it's interesting how people will be so uh, sensitive about real property. Most people wouldn't go out and just open up somebody's car and drive away with it mm-hmm. because that would be a theft, you know. But with copyright law and intellectual property, they don't seem to either understand it or value it and so if we use a piece of music for the Lord's work, uh, well, why do we have to monkey around with all this law stuff? Uh, and, and so uh, there are copyright laws in our country. Our founding fathers uh, put that in our Constitution. We're one of the few countries that ever had that. And they uh, wanted to view and protect the work of artists so they would continue to perpetuate more things. And sometimes when people are breaking copyright law, it's not just a matter of uh, of breaking the principles of the law, but it doesn't give an awful lot of incentive for a writer or a publisher to put out their materials uh, if people are just going to use it at will. The other part I think is very much misunderstood is um, uh, what is called fair use in the copyright law. And uh, there are places where use can be uh, made as far as like photocopying or whatnot, particularly with libraries and in schools. But even there, there's restrictions. And most people will just say, oh, well, the copyright law says we can u- make uh, fair use of uh, making a, a copy and not realizing that uh, most of that is really for archiving of libraries and uh, whatnot. So um, it's not quite as uh, open-ended as people would think. And then not every country has a copyright law or what we call members of the Berne Convention. And so uh, uh, while we have fairly strict copyright laws, other countries may not have that at all. And if we market our things to another country that doesn't have that, uh, people could be photocopying there and not really in violation, at least in, you know, in their, uh, in their lo- laws of their country. So let's say I'm a church musician and I decide to uh, possibly record 
something uh, to give to our congregation or maybe even to put it uh, on a CD and sell. Mm -hmm. I know there are several different types of licenses. That's correct. And could you explain what the different types of licenses that you issue so that people can sure. treat the copyright uh, properly? When I first started publishing, my main, my main concern as far as contracts uh, was uh, royalty contracts to the writers. And then I started getting requests from people who wanted to make CDs or whatnot, and those are called mechanical licenses. And so that's about the only kind of license I dealt with for a lot of years until I had people who were using our, our publications in their services that maybe were being transmitted uh, over radio or television. So then we had to deal with synchronization licenses that we would grant. And then uh, more recently, uh, our digital transmissions that people will use of music. And so we have to grant digital contract licenses. So it's, I mean, it's getting, <laughs> uh, as technology changes, uh, it's getting more complex all the time. On your website, you mentioned uh, you can buy the physical copy or you can get a, a digital download of that product through uh, Sheet Music Plus or some of those right. companies. Yeah, or, or Pepper or, or SacredSheetMusic.com uh, and some of those. Yeah, we're working with several vendors. We don't do that personally on our own site, but uh, we are working with other companies who are uh, that, that deal with that technology. And one of the things that relates to copyright we tend to be pretty gracious on giving permissions to copy. So if a person wants to copy something uh, and uh, needs additional copies or wants to edit or those type of things, to keep in, in line with the copyright law, they really need to get a permission to copy. Some companies are very tough about that and tend not to grant them easily. We tend to most always grant them. Uh, it, and also stating the appreciation that people are following the copyright law and doing so. Well, that's good. Tell me a little bit about your philosophy. Uh, you mentioned uh, to me earlier about your axiom of, of, of publishing. What is that about? Oh, yeah. Well, I started out many years ago and saying I had two axioms of uh, uh, publishing music. And the first one was, we don't have what you want. <laughs> and the second one was, if we do have it, it's not the way we would like it. Until one of my friends said, but Dave, you forgot the third axiom. And I said, oh, what's that? He says, I wanted it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the problem. I can remember many years ago here at the Wilds that we had a, a publisher's uh, session, and a lot of conversation was going on, and one of the uh, publishers said that they had a uh, well, well, the question was thrown out, what type of things would you like? And so the people in the seminar were, were giving ideas of things that they would like. And so one of the publishers said, well, they followed up on that one time. They had a very good selling octavo, and people were wanting orchestrations of it, or maybe it was a, a musical. And uh, so they put all the time and money and engraving and everything uh, to, to this orchestration to accompany uh, the musical granting the wishes of what uh, their customers really wanted, and then proceeded within the next two years to sell three copies. Hmm. So I find uh, most in talking to most publishers, people will really say what it is they want, 
but carrying through with the purchase of you know use and proper use of that sometimes doesn't happen you know so you're you're all the time having to second guess you know the market you got to be ahead of them to produce things that they don't even realize yet that they know they might want and then to try to meet the things that they say they want but don't always carry through with and then you're sitting there with a lot of inventory right and so you might have even a solo uh piece for oboe and someone likes it and but they don't play the oboe they play another instrument they may contact you and say could i have it for french horn or something like that yeah and you would be able to do that through uh, your services yes uh we tended have tended over the years to maybe be a little more musically pure than some companies sometimes we will publish a piece for every instrument and some companies do that all the time uh, I tend to publish uh, things that are, follow a kind of a generic line. For example, if we have a woodwind solo that comes out, we may publish it for different woodwind solos, but we probably won't do it for brass or other things that don't fit. And, and conversely, with a brass piece or a string thing. So we don't just kind of pump, you know, pump the piece into every uh, idiom. Uh, so we do carry some guidelines there. Different publishers will handle that different ways. Mm-hmm. And some keys won't work for certain instruments. Oh, yes. I just had someone at the booth last night was looking at some string things, and they wanted to know about the keys. They weren't all that familiar with it. And they said, oh, I see this has um, sharps, and, and they were a flutist. And, and I said, well, string people don't like flats. <laughs> and, and conversely, when people don't like sharps, you know. And so we have some things that we've published for different instruments, uh, different idioms, and we've even spent the time and the money and uh, – uh, put them in totally different keys. These days, that's easier with computer generating uh, things. We do most everything on Finale and in-house. Uh, but when I first started publishing, uh, I was using acetate rub-ons on manuscript paper, and then I was, like most publishers back three decades ago, we were uh, producing our music uh, with manual music typewriters. Right. And that's just the way it was done. And so every time you would uh, put a piece uh, music out for different instruments, you had to really think carefully about it because uh, it's not like today where you just push the button in the program and get a new key and the way you go. You know, Another part of that, uh, we've gotten pretty um, uh, detailed on our string things. Uh, I have a gal that does editing for us, and uh, sometimes writers might have good arrangements uh, but they may not understand string uh, technique. And she will go in and work on bowings and fingerings and all of those type of things to make a really good addition out of it. And, and even to the point we're now going back to older pieces that we've had on the market for some time and redoing those. Well, that's good. Uh, particularly for younger things, uh, younger students, you know. Uh, it's very helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find professionals will say, don't put all that in. We'll do it our own way. <laughs> but for, for younger uh, players, that's very helpful to have that information. Just a couple more questions. Uh, tell us about the flagship uh, product that really uh, has helped your company over the years. Uh, I know you, mm-hmm. you've had several instrumental series that uh, you've sold quite a few of. It's been sure. very popular in Christian schools right. for groups that had maybe uh, less than adequate instrumentations. What, right. what are those products about? Okay. Uh, well, uh, as you observe, though, publishing field, and I've noticed this for years, 
most every publisher will have something that keeps them alive, so to speak. And it's the same with us. Probably our, what we call the big three, and they are the hymn samples, which are like mix and match uh, instrumentations or be like for bands and orchestra. And if you don't have optimum instrumentation, there's enough cross-cueing and writing and parts that uh, you can make them work. Uh, something that's even more functional but a little more black and stock is what we call the hymns for multiple instruments. Uh, those two series alone... Uh, have been very uh, beneficial to us. Uh, in sacred instrumental music, I think sometimes if you sell 500 to 1,000 or something, you've probably done pretty well. It's a little different in the vocal field uh, or even keyboard, but with instrumental, um, you know, those, those numbers are pretty uh, exciting. But in those two titles alone, in the, in the six volumes that are in there, uh, the last time I calculated, we've sold probably more than 35,000 units. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third part, our prong of that big three is uh, Heritage, which is a band method supplement using all sacred instrumental music. We've got another series that's just coming out in the next few months, a whole different ilk uh, than sacred music. But we've had Christian schools that are wanting things for uh, activity bands or prep bands and that type of things. And a lot of, a lot of the items that are out there by major publishers are not the type of music that most of those uh, institutions want to use. So we've come up with um, a book, Pepsambles, that's the working name, uh, that can be used for these school groups uh, where they can have a lot of fun uh, with their different activities and yet use music that would probably be conducive uh, to their philosophies and their uh, musical taste. I know for concerts and for special programs, sometimes they're looking for more of a concert type song. And, uh, and the activity songs is a great idea. I'm sure it'll, yeah. it'll be very, very Of course, popular. we have a full line of, you know, like concert band and, and orchestra materials that we have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, traditionally uh, scored. And you're a adjudicator, I mm-hmm. guess is the word for it, right. where you get to sit in on competitions and do some judging and critiquing. Right. Yeah, that's not my, my main job in life, so I don't do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But I have done guest conducting and adjudicating and lecturing and things in at least 15 states. So mm-hmm. I get around from time to time, and sometimes the word spreads, and then you end up going to another place. Like I said, it's not my, my main thing because of time or emphasis, but it does uh, happen, and uh uh, is an enjoyable thing to be able to do and to help others, you know, with that background. I was a band director for 18 years and had a successful program. And so before I started publishing, uh, I had, had that kind of uh, background and had a lot of positions in the, in the educational field. And so now that pays off by, uh, lending that information to others who may need it. And you're based out of Michigan. Yes. What part of Michigan? Uh, we are in what is called the thumb of Michigan. Uh, Michigan's uh, like a mitten. is obviously to the right-hand side. We're about 100 miles north of uh, Detroit. We live in a rural community where my wife and I both taught in that area, and we've just stayed there. That is another thing that has made a difference from when I first started publishing because I was concerned, where do I need to live and operate out of? When you got a FedEx account, a UPS account, uh, an internet account, uh, on and on it goes, you can be just about anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've just stayed put and, uh, and enjoy that area where we've raised our kids and uh, continue to live. And the last question I have for you is if someone is, is interested in contacting you or finding out more about David E. Smith Publications, mm-hmm. how would they go about contacting you? 
Well, we have several websites. Uh, DESPUB.com is kind of our traditional uh, site, which uh, is more informational. We have a marketing site, which is churchmusic.biz, B-I-Z, and that has an excellent search engine on it uh, for locating materials, and there's contacts through that. We also have a new one, which is called musicforhomeschoolers.com, aimed at that uh, area. Uh, we have uh, two other alias <laughs> sites, which are uh, uh, instrumentalchurchmusic.com and vocalchurchmusic.com. We landed those because we never know what we might do in the future, but those will tie into our other present sites. We have uh, a toll-free number at 800 O for order, O sacred, which is uh, 800-672-2733. And then we have business uh, numbers and and um, as well as fax lines and all those type of things. Uh, a zillion different email addresses. The main one, which is uh, despub at greatlakes.net or info at despub.com and, and a lot of other ones. And then we have a lot of dealers that handle our materials, and so a lot of times we get questions or referrals even from dealers. Well, we'll put links to all of those on our website so people can find them easily. Thank at you. Graceforall.com forward slash music for ministry. <laughs> so thank you again for being with us, and thank you for sharing why be a music publisher. Thank you. I've enjoyed this and sharing uh, the experience I've had over the last uh, few decades. All right. Thank you, David. This brings us to the end of the Music for Ministry podcast. You can find links and program notes to our show at graceforall.com forward slash music for ministry. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tell your friends about it and do me a favor. Head over to iTunes and give us a rating and give a review and also feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day and make music for ministry your passion too. The Music for Ministry podcast is a production of Grace for All Publications. 